the series is called Coming King. And hopefully um, our heart really for the series was to just sort of wet your appetite for it, to just kind of get you thinking about it so that you can do some of your own research, some of your own reading. In fact, um, hopefully you got one of these study guides. If not, they're at the exits or entrances on your way in. It has a glossary of terms as you're reading some of these scriptures. You might wonder kind of what they mean. We have a personal reading plan of scripture for the end times you can go through in your personal time with the Lord. We also have some suggested reading for deeper study which can really just help you dive in to more of these topics. We, when uh, Ron and I kind of set out to do this, our first conversation together was, there's no way we're going to be able to cover uh, even a, a little bit of this in four weeks, but we want to get them thinking, want to get some big concepts around so you can have some uh, passionate discussions at your lunch table, you know, all of those things. So if you do have any questions, we created an email called question at eeriefirst.org. Uh, if during um, a message or something you're reading in your own personal time, if you want to shoot the question there, uh, Ron and I are going to do a podcast at the end of the month and we'll release it where we can answer um, any questions that you have. And so I just want to give a real quick um, recap as we come up to week three Uh, The first week of this series, I talked about how we can experience a lot of emotions about the end of the age. Um, We can be afraid, we can be frustrated about it, we can be uh, completely ambivalent, we can have sort of all of these emotions, but ultimately, Christ says that he wants us to have peace. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, I want you to have peace, trust me that I have a plan He says that I have a strategy. You may not understand all of the plan and the strategy, but that's okay because he has the plan and he's going to walk us through it every minute. He's never going to leave us and he's going to be with us through it all. And we talked about how oftentimes we can um, think about all the end times things. We can get caught up a little bit on, you know, some of these glossary of terms and what does it mean exactly. But really the primary focus of the end of the age, the primary focus of Jesus' return is Jesus. It's Jesus. And the fact that we are focusing on him uh, at all times. And so we can't get too caught up in all the other stuff. We can study it. We can look at it. But we can't get too caught up because we'll miss the point. And so the idea is that studying the end times should help us grow in our love for God, for Jesus, for the very one that's coming at the end of the age and all of victory as we prayed and, and worshiped earlier today. And that that should align us to his mission and God's mission is that everyone would hear the gospel. And in fact, I, I want to take a moment and thank all the volunteers who um, helped at the Convoy of Hope event yesterday. Many of you were there uh, packing groceries and handing things out and being with kids and doing the dirty work. And that is all because you have been part of the mission of Jesus that everyone would hear the gospel. So thank you for those of you that served. And, and I just want you to know if you were not there that we sent a great team of very first people that were a great extension of our community. I'm so, I'm so proud. Um, last week, Ron went over the signs of the times. So we kind of broke it up into sections. And he talked about some specific signs that would signal us that the end of the age is coming. And he talked about some sign events. Uh, for example, Uh, Israel being recognized as its own nation in 1948. That was a huge event that was uh, a prophetic event that was happening in the scripture that actually happened that we saw. 
Um, also, there are sign trends, trends that are negative, trends that are positive. One of the signals that, the, that Jesus is going to come in the generation is that there is a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so we are ushering that in. We're wanting more of that. That's a positive sign and trend of Jesus coming soon. And thirdly, that there are cosmic signs, uh, signs that will occur in the heavens that, that we will get to see with our own eyes. And so today, we want to specifically focus about a key end-time event called the Great Tribulation. And I made for you um, just a, a little map here that I thought could maybe just help you um, digest it literally uh, so you can sort of see it. And so this is, if we were giving a brief um, timeline of the end of the age, the beginning of it would be sign events and trends like, like Ron spoke of last week. Uh, there's different things in the scripture that are going to happen, trends that we're going to see, more lawlessness, more earthquakes, right? More uh, other signs that are going to happen. And that all happens in this first stage right here. I put as an example, in 1948, Israel became a nation, which was a huge mm -hmm. sign event that's happening. But then there will come a time a moment in time when the tribulation begins. And that will be a very specific moment when the Antichrist will be revealed as a man of peace. A man who brings counterfeit world peace and safety and will make a covenant with many nations. Now, we know that we are not in the tribulation time right now. We don't know how close we are. But we know we're not there because that event has not happened yet. That the Antichrist has not been a person that has been a man of peace who brings counterfeit world peace. But when that does happen, that begins this time period of the tribulation that we're going to talk a lot about today. It's this section here. And the scripture says that the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the labor pangs will increase. Meaning the things that, the sign events, the sign trends, those things will increase. And at the midpoint of the tribulation, so three and a half years in, there will be a moment where the Antichrist, his true self will be revealed. And it will be revealed that he is a man of sin, that he, was, he is a man of, of power and control and will demand to be worshipped. And in the scripture, it's actually referred to as the abomination of desolation, if you've heard those words before. And that will happen three and a half years in the tribulation, as the scripture says. And then in the final three and a half years of the tribulation, it actually calls this, this is the great tribulation. That's why I wrote the word great there, because this is when it gets increasingly bad. In fact, the scripture says it will be the hardest, most severe difficulties the world has ever seen. And so that will happen in those three and a half years. But then when the seven years is over, the scripture says, what will end the tribulation is the second coming of Christ. And, and Jesus will come in all of his glory, and he will end the great tribulation, and we and he will have victory over sin and death and hell once and for all. And so those prayers we were praying, those things that we were just talking about in worship, that's all looking ahead to this moment. Sometimes I think people don't remember the relevance of the end times. Even in those prayers that we're praying and the victory that we're talking about, that's because Jesus is coming back. We believe it. And in that moment, he will vanquish all sin, death, and hell once and for all. And so we look forward to that. And then after that, after the second coming happens, there is some more things that the scripture talks about, including the millennial reign, uh, which is a thousand-year period where Christ rules and reigns with his saints. 
And then at the very end, there will be a great cleansing of the present earth. And when all of evil is completely annihilated, there will be a new heaven and a new earth created where we will live forever together. And so today we're going to just tag team some of the big questions that you might ask about the Great Tribulation. We're going to focus on this part right here. Uh, Last week, Ron talked about this beginning. We're going to focus on the middle today. And then next week to end our series, it's all going to be about the second coming of Christ and what the scripture says is going to happen there. So let's just start with this question, uh, which was probably the one that Ron and I wrestled with the most this week in all of our conversations. But some people might ask, why? Why would the Lord allow a time of tribulation? Why is that the reason? Why, why is that the plan? That there will be this great time of unprecedented difficulty? Why do you think? So, Ron, what do you, how would you answer that if someone asked you that question? You know, as I was uh, participating this morning in our worship, and <clears throat> Pastor Dan, uh, he brought out a couple of times things that we fear, and, and then Mike in the baby dedication mentioned that period where they were going through Uh, expecting another child and the fear that they had. You know, interestingly, this topic creates a lot of fear in people because uh, quite often uh, it's not looked at in the way that the Lord has told us about it. And um, it's so, there's a phrase that uh, I've used before, I've heard before that says, if you don't think correctly about uh, the end, if you don't think correctly about heaven, if you don't think correctly about these events, you really don't think about them at all. So it's really important that we, again, I know that Pastor Nicole's mentioned it, I've mentioned it, that we need to really take a personal interest in going to the scripture and looking at these events. But the question, why would the Lord allow a time like this it's really, a, it's really a, a great question, and, and it can be very puzzling. But when we look at the character of God, we, we know that John 3.17 says that, you know, it's not the Lord's plan that anyone is lost. Um, and we know that even though that's his plan, he never violates our free will. In other words, true love is really given voluntarily. And so uh, God's love It's never compromised. I mentioned this last week by his justice. It's never compromised by his judgments. They're never more difficult. They're never harder than is necessary to get our attention and to respond to him. But the fact is, in Revelation 9.20, Scripture says that even in the midst of this kind of pressure that the Lord is bringing on, that people still resist him. And, you know, it's a testimony to really how hard uh, people, men and women's hearts can be. So, you know, to summarize, really, I would say that the reason that the Lord is allowing this time of tribulation first is to bring in a great harvest of souls. He wants people to respond to him. He wants people to see that he is the Lord. He has all authority. He has all power. And then secondly, I I believe it also has to do with the fact that God wants everyone to see how loving, how holy, how just he is, and that regardless of what he, the opportunities uh, that he gives us, that there are going to be those that resist who he is because of the hardness 
of their heart and because of sin. So yeah. that's how I would summarize uh, why we're having this period. Yeah, that's great. And I think um, that's one of those things you really have to wrestle with. God is loving, but he is also just. And there has been and will continue to be a lot of sin and mm-hmm. things against his name over up until this time. And then specifically during the tribulation, the Antichrist is allowed more power, and so there'll be a lot of things coming against him. And so uh, the tribulation will cleanse and make all that right. Um, here's a second question. I mentioned uh, the tribulation period seven years, and you might say, how do we know that? So I want to bring uh, some clarity to that. Um, because there's so many other things that are kind of nebulous on timing. Why do we know that the tribulation is seven years? And I want to bring us to Daniel 9, 27. It says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So this verse is just actually saying that it will be for seven years. Uh, this verse is saying that the first three and a half, uh, the Antichrist will be persecuting those who love Jesus and Israel, uh, which causes this time of tribulation. And then in the last three and a half, uh, there will be um, this moment that just brings uh, where the Antichrist defiles the temple and he demands to be worshipped. So he literally says, God is not God, I am God. And that will bring God's wrath and desecration because no one can call themselves God except who God is. And so the last three and a half years will be uh, upon the Antichrist and those who have taken his mark. That will be what, where the tribulation is on. And so that's how we know that there are seven years. It talks a lot about that in the scripture. So we're pretty confident that that's what, what it's saying. Um, some people have asked the question, okay, but who causes the tribulation? Because uh, the Antichrist is doing work against God and against God's people, but who is actually causing all of the other events to happen? Mm-hmm. And uh, how, would you, how would you answer that question, Ron, if you were asked? Well, we know that God is, is perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. But we know that um, the Antichrist, the Lord, you know, he has all power. He has all authority. He wouldn't need to allow this to happen. But for the reasons that we've already mentioned, uh, he believes that this is what is necessary to uh, purify us, to, uh, to bring into right perspective who he is and, and, and what his holiness is like. But there, there are some, and I, and I tend to agree with this, that this early part of the tribulation period is really brought on by the rage of Satan, because Satan's plan has always been to be worshiped. His plan has always been to be the one sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. I believe that's one of the reasons that we see so much tension around that area today. But uh, so we have Satan working through the Antichrist to really bring turmoil, tension, desolation upon the saints and upon 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 Israel, the nation of Israel, and, and also upon the saints. And um, God's solution then is to bring, you know, upon this rebellion, you know, to give them an opportunity to repent. His, his solution has been to uh, 
bring that pressure up. So what's causing it? I think, I think there's really two things. I think really the Antichrist and the rage of Satan working through him is, is what begun that process. But then the Lord, as you said, in the last three and a half years, is going to be pouring out his wrath uh, and bringing judgment on the Antichrist and on that, and on that uh, kingdom. So the, Lord, the Lord's plan is being fulfilled. Uh, in a perfect way. Yeah. Um, so the third kind of question that sparks actually a lot of debate at times is where are the saints in the church during the tribulation? So the sign events and the trends, we're, we're in the middle of all that, we're experiencing that, maybe even some of that right now. Uh, but what happens during the tribulation? Where are the saints in the church? And um, this is something we talked a lot about. You've talked a lot about to lots of people, mm -hmm. right, over the years. In fact, have had different, even theological perspectives yourself. Yeah. I've, I've been, you know, like we're, we're on a journey in our understanding of all of the things that the Lord's given us in Scripture. <clears throat> and I really have. I've wrestled with uh, many different aspects of this, and I'm not sitting here this morning uh, trying to uh, express that I, I know all of the answers or, or know all of the details. But I believe the Lord has given us much to consider and that we do need to go to go after it. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at today. Yeah. And there's there's a few um, there's four or five interpretations of this topic, but there are two that are widely discussed. And um, the it's pre-tribulation and post-tribulation. Now, don't let your eyes cross because these words are big. All right. They're, they're pretty easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit more about them um, today. But I think. Um, the, the main thing, if I was going to boil down to what pre-tribulation and post-tribulation means, is if, if pre-tribulation theologians believe that the rapture of the saints uh, happens right here before all of this begins to happen, and post-tribulation theologians believe that the rapture happens actually after the tribulation during the second coming. Mm -hmm. uh, give them a, what's the rapture, if they're not sure what that word is? Can you give them a quick... Well, the rapture really is the gathering together of the saints in the air, we meet the Lord in the air, we receive our resurrected bodies, and uh, we join him in, in the work that he is going to be doing in the millennial kingdom as he uh, cleanses the earth, as he completes the uh, defeat of the enemy, and uh, as we go forward. Right. So the question really is, when will that happen? Not if it will happen. The scripture is clear that that will happen mm -hmm. uh, no matter what. We ever, all the theologians believe that. But when will it happen? Will it happen prior to the tribulation or will it happen uh, post the tribulation? Like I said, there are some other um, widely de you know, debated kind of theologies, but these are the two that we found uh, were primarily um, things that people believed and talked about. So before we talk about the differences, we do want to talk a little bit about the differences. I want to just review some of the points of agreement that these two views make. Um, so I think we have them on the screen there. First of all, whether you're pre- or post-trib, the similarity is that Jesus is Lord and those who love him are his disciples. So that is a, uh, a fact that, that 
you must be a disciple of Christ to be raptured. And so Jesus is Lord and those who love him are his disciples. Secondly, our salvation is totally dependent on the grace of God and of our acceptance of his lordship. So I just want to be real clear today that this particular issue about the end times, whether you believe the rapture happens before or after the tribulation, has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. And it's something that we can think about and talk about because we're interested in the things of God, but it is not a a deal breaker on any sense. Um, The third, the redeemed will rule with Jesus in the thousand-year millennium as he establishes his kingdom on earth. So the millennial reign will happen uh, no matter what all theologians say, uh, that, that the saints will rule and reign with Christ. It is just when they're taken from the earth, that is the question. Uh, fourth, that Christ will defeat forever the kingdom of darkness and he will prepare a new earth for the eternal dwelling of the Father. So no matter what's going to happen, God's going to win at the end of the day. How many of you are just like, that's all I got to know? That's all I got to know. Sometimes, right? It's important to study this stuff so that you remember those things. But at the end of the day, whether you're pre-trib or post-trib, whether you listen to all this and begin to process it, whatever theological uh, thing you come to, at the end of the day, as believers in Christ, we should live waiting in anticipation for the coming of Christ. And that is where we should all live. And so uh, many evangelical churches, especially in the West, accept a pre-tribulation rapture. And that is the common belief of the Assemblies of God Fellowship to be a pre-tribulation rapture, that we will um, get caught up in the clouds and be raptured with Christ at this point in history. And so many do believe that. But we thought it would be valuable um, to talk through uh, some of the viewpoints of both the pre-tribulation and the post-tribulation, just so that you can understand. And like we talked about a lot, so that you can study and make your own uh, educated, scriptural-based decision. And why we believe that's even important to talk about this is because it does uh, change a little bit of your view of how you're going to prepare and how you're going to live toward the end times. So that's really why, the reason why. Go ahead. Yeah, and in particular, um, that statement I made earlier about Um, if we don't think correctly about the end times, sometimes we don't think about about it at all. And so we want to encourage uh, believers, we want to encourage our congregation to be in anticipation, to be watching, to be uh, alert, as as really watching implies, and to go hard after it and, and... don't believe anything if you don't see it with your own eyes in Scripture. And that's really uh, an encouragement for, for us. We want to be Bereans in our study of the Word. So that sort of is the big overall encouragement that we would have. That's good. So here's what we did for you today. We just uh, picked five things that um, the distinctions between the two theological views. And I think we have a, um, a nice visual up there that Jason put together that we could show you. I'm going to sort of share what pre-tribulation theologians believe, and Ron's going to share what a post-tribulation theologian believe, just so you can kind of keep it straight in your mind. So the first thing is that uh, a pre-tribulation theologians believe they make a distinction between the rapture and the return of Jesus. And so they believe that there's this seven-year period that we talked about, the tribulation, that the rapture happens here, and seven years pass before the second coming of Christ. So that is a a specific difference to what post-tribulation theologians believe. And the post-trib perspective would would say that... uh, 
the rapture of the saints and his return are really uh, one and the same. They're a connected event. They would say that uh, when the scripture talks about his coming, it means that he's coming to stay on the earth. He's coming to rapture the saints, to meet them in the air, and then to uh, complete uh, that end of the age and that, that time period in preparation for the, for the millennial kingdom. And, uh, and I would probably also say that uh, one of their points would say that uh, Jesus would have been clearer on, on his return if, if they were two separate events. Um, and it's interesting that Second Thessalonians 2, uh, 1 through 3, I think we have that up there. Uh, and we're going to read this to you. Um, both pre- and post-tribulation theologians would use this in their arguments. So you, you, you choose. But it says, uh, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, which we assume is... Uh, meaning the rapture, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So before you take that off the screen, just a couple of things I want to point out in that scripture is it addresses what we talked about in the first week, don't become unsettled or alarmed. You know, we, we should have peace, that Jesus has a plan. So it's showing us again that that fear is not where we should go. Uh, and then it also talks about the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, which remember we talked about is right at this point in the middle, that the man of lawlessness is revealed. He has power and control, but is very much... Uh, being peaceful prior to this middle part, but that at that time, it would be the man that is doomed to destruction. Any other comments about that scripture, Ron? I think that sums it up. Okay, well. <laughs> great. All right, the second thing. Um, Pre-tribulation -tribu -tri theologians interpret the tribulation period as the wrath of God that's being poured out on all the earth. And so if the wrath of God is being poured out on all the earth, um, the rapture will have... Uh, taken the saints from earth before it happened, so the saints will be completely spared of that tribulation. So pre-tribulation theologians believe that God is going to spare us from dealing with all of this uh, tribulation, all of this terrible uh, things that will happen on earth, the worst of all of history, and we will be raptured here before all of that happens. What do post-trib you The post-trib interpretation would say that God's wrath <clears throat> is not poured out on the church, so so certainly that's in agreement with a pre-tribulation perspective, but that it's poured out specifically on the Antichrist and on his followers. And you might say, well, how can, how can the saints, if they're actually on the earth at that time, or the church, how can they be on the earth at that time when all of these things are happening uh, and still uh, not be greatly impacted by the turmoil and by the judgments that, they're, that are happening. And, and a pre-tribulation uh, position would say that, well, there are pockets of protection and that um, it's, in, in none of those judgment series is the entire uh, earth uh, uh, impacted by any one of them. And then furthermore, uh, it, it would, uh, in a trying to phrase this in the right way. Uh, protection 
to us oftentimes is summarized only in terms of physical protection. Mm -hmm. But uh, if we look at protection as being faithful to the end in our, in our commitment to the Lord and not falling away, uh, we, can, we can view that as the Lord protecting us, even though physically we may not be protected, but physically we do know that our time on earth is, is short anyway, but uh, we are being protected uh, to be faithful to the end, to not fall away, and to receive the eternal rewards that he's promised to those who are faithful. The scripture does often talk about how the Lord will give us strength to be faithful to the end, uh, whether that's faithful to the end before the tribulation or through the tribulation. Uh, it depends on how you interpret it, but either way, that strength and mm -hmm. that peace and that protection by God is offered. And so that's mm -hmm. a, an agreement that we Absolutely. can have about even both theological views. Um, third, pre-tribulation implies um, that the rapture is a secret event. It, it happens in a moment. We'll be totally unaware of the time and the hour and the place. And I want to read to you from Matthew 24. Uh, this is one of the scriptures that support this uh, particular idea. And it says this, Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And the pre-trib trib position on that would, would look at 1 Corinthians 15.52. And I'm not sure if we have that. Uh, do we have that on the screen? Uh, Essentially, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And they would emphasize the fact that it's not the Lord's coming that's in a moment, but it's our uh, transformation and the receiving of our resurrected uh, bodies that happens in a moment. So that, that would be a, a, a clear emphasis mm -hmm. for someone uh, supporting a pre-tribulation. Yeah, so when perhaps when people say he'll come in a twinkling of an eye, mm -hmm. a post-tribulation view would say that is actually um, talking about when our bodies will be changed, mm -hmm. not that we can't know when Christ will come. Yes. Would be true. Exactly. So, yeah. So that is one big difference. Now, uh, the, the pre-tribulation view, the view I'm representing this morning, um, would say that this uh, imminent return of Christ should be the thing that like, keeps you on your toes. You know, that scripture says that if you knew when someone was going to break in your house, you would go stand by the door with the shovel, you know, like you would know for sure, you would be ready. And so what it's saying is when we begin to kind of slouch off and say, well, we know when it's coming, we are not in that prepared mode. So either way, whether uh, Christ, the, second, the returning of Christ, the rapture is going to happen pre-tribulation or post-tribulation, what we know that we can believe in both theological views is we need to be ready. 
We need to live ready. At any moment, at any time, we need to be ready to be able to serve Christ, to defend Christ, to be strong in who he is, and to make sure that we are, are discipling others, we're on mission, and we're growing in our love for Jesus. So the fourth thing, uh, the pre-tribulation view believes that the church, the ecclesia, is not mentioned in Revelation 6 through 19. And so because it's not mentioned in those particular scriptures, the pre-tribulation believe that the rapture occurs before the tribulation. So they would say, because we don't see in Revelation 6 through 19 the church in these, these particular years, we believe the church was taken away, that his saints were taken away here. Uh, what does the post-tribulation view believe about that? How would they defend that? Well, the post-tribulation view would say that the church is mentioned several times in the book of Revelation, and, and normally it's, it's mentioned uh, in terms of the saints. And uh, Revelation 7, 9, Revelation 14, Revelation 12, 11, and, and there's a few others. Uh, I don't think they're listed on the board, but there are several of them that do mention the saints. Mm -hmm. And there's, uh, in Revelation 7, 14 in particular, it says uh, specifically that these are the ones that have come out of the tribulation. And so they would view that as the church obviously had to be there, the saints were there, and, um, and, and now they are uh, receiving their eternal reward, mm -hmm. reward in heaven. And it uses different words, right? Mm -hmm. um, refers to people as saints or, you know, mm -hmm. those diff particular different vocabulary. So that's why mm -hmm. there is a difference in the two theological views, because one would say, why wouldn't they just use the word church, right? right. And right. a post-trib would say, um, we do, it's just not that word mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. It's like apples to apples, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. All right, here's the last one uh, that could help you understand the difference between the two views. The pre-tribulation view um, would say that the blessed hope, which is referred to in Titus 2.13, is the hope that Jesus would take us before the time of tribulation on earth. So when they're talking about how we have this blessed hope, the hope is that we get to get out of here before all that stuff happens. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the hope that they're talking about in Titus 2.13. Now, post-tribulation theologians believe that that hope is referring to something else. Ron, tell us what they believe well, that is. A post-tribulation view would, uh, would say that it's actually the coming of the Lord to establish his kingdom on earth and to rule the nations that is really our great hope. They are both hopes. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, depending, on, depending on how you interpret these scriptures, uh, uh, we have hope. We have hope mm -hmm. in, in any case. But the post-tribulation would definitely say that no, it doesn't refer to uh, a, a rapture prior to the tribulation because God's actually using the church during that time mm -hmm. to, to bring others into the kingdom, to have a great ingathering into the kingdom. And uh, it's, it, it's a great time that the church won't want to miss. And they would also say that the church has never been exempt from persecution through history. Right. And it's not God persecuting the church, but it's the Antichrist and then finally, God pours out his wrath uh, on the Antichrist and on his kingdom. It's interesting. Um, we, what we didn't talk about a little bit is throughout the history of Scripture, the history of the age, there is actually different uh, particular times that trials and tribulations mm -hmm. are used uh, to bring us 
closer to Jesus. I think of with Pharaoh and um, how the, that there were plagues that would happen in the mm-hmm. in the um, in the camp, and people were affected by them. Um, we don't know all the details, but we are not sure if everyone got the boils, everyone dealt with the mm-hmm. locusts. You know, that's kind of all happening, but it was all based on. Uh, helping, trying to get Pharaoh to come, but his heart was hard. Yeah. And so there's some ways in scripture we've seen kind of a, a pre, um, you know, a foreshadowing of this happening. And, you know, there's another, there's another point to that that a pre-tribulation position would take was that even during those plagues that the Lord was uh, releasing on Egypt, there was uh, a land, the land of Goshen, that was protected and not affected in any way by that. So they would use that also as a uh, indication that, you know, the Lord can do all things. He does protect the church. He does protect the saints. He will obviously and definitely protect us until the end uh, as we are committed to him spiritually and, and, uh, and many will be protected physically, that's what they would say. And we do know that if the saints, the church, is in fact raptured at the end of the tribulation and has to go through the tribulation, uh, we do know that um, Christ talks about, or the, the scriptures talk about, people will come to Christ in that time. Whether Absolutely. the church is here or great, not, the theologians say mm-hmm. that people will come to Christ in that, during that time. And we don't know how. We don't know exactly how that will happen. But there will still be, because God's desire is for all to come to know him. Mm-hmm. And so he will continue to, to gather people to him. And, and actually, the only ones that scripture clearly indicates are unredeemable are those who actually take the mark of the beast mm-hmm. and who uh, just accept and worship him. Uh, as, as he asks them to. Yeah. Um, so let's just talk about, let's close this up with this. Uh, what will end the Great Tribulation? There is some conversation about when the saints will be taken from it, but what will end the Great Tribulation? And that is very clear that the second coming of Christ will end the Great Tribulation. And um, at that time, Christ will physically appear on earth again. Every eye will see him, the scripture says, and he will go forth to call all of his kingdom uh, to him. Uh, He will ride on a white horse, followed by the saints who are also on white horses, and it will be the sight of great wonder and majesty um, as Christ descends with his followers um, to, to just reclaim what the enemy has temporarily taken. And the Battle of Armageddon will be uh, in conclusion, and the defeated Satan will be bound and cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years where there will be no, uh, no effects of him in any way. And that's called the millennial reign of Christ. And uh, they'll rule the earth. We'll rule the earth with the saints. And then, like we talked about earlier, that will end with the creation of a new heaven and a new earth for us to live for eternity. So next week, next Sunday, we're going to talk a little bit more about this part of the end of the age. Uh, but that is the sort of the linear um, timeline as we're walking through it. So we're going to end today. Would you just stand so I can pray um, for us? We're going to pray about these things. If you have any questions from what you heard today, there's so much more we could have talked about. Please email us at question at eriefirst.org, um, or I'm sure you can come and ask Ask Ron at the end of service. He'd be glad to help you out. Uh, Let's pray. Yes. He'll (laughs) he'll look it up in this book. It'll be in there. All right. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we declare today that you are great, God. We declare that we want to love you more. 
that we want to be part of your mission, Father God, that as we study the end of the age, God, that that pushes us to just be more waiting in anticipation for the coming of your return. Lord, we believe that it's true. We want to live in light of that every single day. And we pray, Father, that we can be strong in the face of persecution, that we can be strong in the face of any tribulation that comes our way, and that we could look in anticipation for the coming King because you always do what you promise, God. You've done it before. We've watched it in history, and you will do it again. And so, Lord, with great faith and anticipation, we walk out these doors today knowing that you will soon come again. You have a plan, and we can trust you with that plan. And today we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you guys next week.